cannoli, granita, and double-crusted pizza. This week, we're in Ortigia, Sicily. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. You know, people often ask me for my favorite all-time place to visit, but that's an impossible question to answer. Though the island of Ortigia in Sicily must be near the top of the list. Ortigia doesn't have the blockbuster sites of Rome or Florence, but it has a character and food culture that's hard to beat, especially when you see how the folks of Ortigia have integrated the cuisine of all of their conquerors into their menus, especially the citrus, nuts, and sugar brought to them from the invading Muslim conquerors of North Africa over a thousand years ago. And thinking about this is making me hungry, so let's eat. What to eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. There's more about Ortigia than we could ever fit into a single episode of Destination Eat Drink, so check out DestinationEatDrink.com for more great dishes, beverages, and things to do in Ortigia. Just click on Italy and Ortigia. Ortigia is a small island just off of the city of Syracuse in southeastern Sicily, but don't let the fact that it's an island throw you. It's so close to the mainland of Sicily that two causeway bridges have been built to attach the island to the mainland of Sicily, and they're easily walkable. People go back and forth between Syracuse and Ortigia all day long. If you've heard of the food scene in Ortigia, it's likely because of the famous outdoor market. TV travel shows have featured it recently as an authentic spot to sample the taste delights of southeastern Sicily. And YouTubers have made Casaficio Borderi's sandwiches famous. They're delicious and the show from the sandwich maker is half the fun. Of course, with all this attention online comes real-life tourists. Still, even with tourists coming to the market, it's mostly patronized by locals doing their daily shopping. The vendors at the market offer everything from local produce to spices to seafood to prepared foods. They even have stands with sweets. Sicilians love their sweets. That includes bars of chocolate from Modica. Modica is famous for its chocolate making, and I'll talk about a day trip to Modica a little bit later on in the podcast. But if you can't make it to Modica, pick up a few bars of chocolate at the market. They're cheap and make fantastic gifts. One thing that might throw you if you go to the Ortigia market is the fact that there are barrels filled with spices. It makes it kind of look like a Turkish or a North African market more than an Italian market. And there's a good reason for that. For years, an Arab dynasty from Tunisia ruled Sicily. They brought citrus, pistachios, and spices with them that's still a big part of the cuisine of this part of Sicily. Items in the market change with the season, of course, but you should especially look for the pistachios. Sicilian pistachios are extraordinary. Also look for the sun-dried tomatoes, the Modica chocolate that I talked about, and citrus. Citrus is in season in the winter, and the blood oranges in Sicily are amazing. 
Many of these items can be brought back to the U.S. with you as long as they're commercially packaged or vacuum sealed. We've had no issue bringing back chocolate, candy, pistachios, spices, and sun-dried tomatoes to the States. Just make sure that they are packaged either in a vacuum sealed bag or commercially packaged before you bring them back. You won't be able to bring back fresh cheeses and meats with you, though. And speaking of cheese... Ricotta is extraordinarily popular in Sicily, but it's generally not the same kind of ricotta that we're used to in the tubs in grocery stores in the U.S. Most ricotta in Sicily is made with sheep's milk, and ricotta salata is one of the most popular forms. It's a salty cheese that becomes crumbly when it's aged, and it's perfect for many Sicilian pasta dishes. But the star of the ricotta show might be something in Ortigia called tricotta. Um, this is called ricotta infornata in other parts of Sicily, but in Ortigia it's called tricotta, T-R-I-C-O-T-T-A, and that means baked three times, which is what they do with the ricotta. If you want to get a great tricotta, look in the market at Casaficio Borderi's, the sandwich shop that I talked about earlier. Cannoli originated in Palermo as a treat during Carnivale, but once again, the Arabs are to thank because they're the ones who brought sugarcane to Sicily. Cannoli in Sicily is a tube-shaped fried dough filled with ricotta cheese, and since we're in Sicily, it's usually sheep's milk ricotta, although you can occasionally find milk from cows in the ricotta. For a unique take on cannoli, try cannoli del rey. They roll their dough into a cone shape and fill it with ricotta and top it with nuts, making it look more like an ice cream cone than a cannoli. The key to great cannoli is to make the pastry fresh and add the ricotta right there on the spot. So if you go into a place and you see empty shells for cannoli, you know that you might have found a good place because then the cannoli doesn't get soggy, which is just a bad cannoli experience. Also, look for pastry that's flaky. It shouldn't have a hard cookie texture like many of the cannoli in the States. Of course, you can get plenty of great gelato all over Italy, in Sicily, and in Ortigia too, but why not get a frozen treat that originated in Sicily? That means granita. Granita is a frozen treat similar to sorbetto or sorbet. It's also kind of like Italian ice. In fact, depending on where you are in Sicily, it can be quite different. If you're in the Palermo area of Sicily, granita is chunkier with larger crystals of ice, kind of like the Italian ice that we're used to in the States. But in eastern Sicily, including here in Ortigia, granita is smoother with smaller ice crystals, closer in texture to sorbetto. And granita can be made with any number of flavors. Lemon is especially popular because of the citrus that's grown in Sicily. But for my money, the best granita flavors are pistachio, almond, coffee, and chocolate. Not your typical fruit flavors of uh, Italian ice that you would find in the States, but unbelievably delicious in Ortigia. Two of the best places for granita are Voglia Mata and Gelateria Fior di Latte. They both have gelato as well. And if you're near the Duomo, Cafe Minerva 
makes a nice chocolate granita, although their prices tend to be higher than most because they're right on the piazza, prime real estate after all. Italy's number one most famous food item must be pizza, right? And depending on where you are in Italy, there's lots of different kinds of pizza. The Neapolitan pizza fried in a wood-burning oven. There's also a Roman-style pizza, which has a thin cracker-like crust. And then there's Sicilian-style pizza. In the U.S., that means a doughy, thick pizza crust. But the thing is, that's not really Sicilian-style pizza. That's kind of an Americanized version. And it's a takeoff on the Sicilian street food, Sofincione. Sofincione, which literally translates to sponge, is something quite different. The crust, as you can figure out from the name, is spongy, but has a softer consistency that is quite different than Americanized Sicilian pizza. Sofincione is topped with tomato sauce, onions, cheese, sometimes anchovies, and a drizzle of olive oil. But in Ortizia, you won't find Sofincione. Instead, Pizzolo is the local style of pizza. Now, Pizzolo from Ortizia has nothing to do with the bastardized Pizzolo from Pizza Hut, which is some meat baked in their pizza crust. Terrible. Ortizia Pizzolo is a double-crusted pizza, crust on the bottom, crust on the top. Kind of like a calzone, but the dough's not folded over. It's two separate crusts on the bottom and on the top. And it's not stuffed with insane amounts of cheese and meat. A pizzolo often has arugula, cheese, pancetta, and oregano, but you can find pizzolo with a variety of fillings. And unlike the calzone, the pizzolo isn't hand food. It's cut into slices like a pizza. And if you try to pick it up with your hands, the toppings will probably fall out. Trattoria Calliope makes a fine pizzolo in Ortizia, as does La Pizzoleria Ortizia. They're also a well-known spot. Want to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. Get the Destination Eat Drink podcast delivered to your phone, tablet, or computer automatically by subscribing at Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or radiomisfits.com. Links to every episode of the podcast are archived at destinationeatdrink.com. Click on the podcast tab. Sicilian wine has really come into its own recently. What used to be quite pedestrian has become world-class in many cases. The wines produced in the volcanic soil of Mount Etna, a couple hours north of Ortizia, is especially good for growing excellent wine grapes. And you can tour some of the wineries of Etna. Some tours even combine the winery tour with a trip to Mount Etna's volcano. But a tour from Ortizia is quite an undertaking. Most tour operators won't pick you up in Syracuse. So I recommend the wine tour as part of a trip to Catania, which is much closer to the Etna wine region. Luckily, Syracuse has its own wine region, famous for the Sicilian grape Nero d'Avola, as well as their Syrah and their sweet Moscato. Several wineries are open for tours, including the family-run Pupillo, 
uh, reservations are required for a visit, and a car is really the easiest way to get there. It only takes about 30 minutes. You can take the train there, but it's quite a roundabout path and will take you quite a while to get there. You get off in Targia and walk 15 minutes to the winery. But if your schedule's tight, a better option is to find a wine shop with a good local selection. And in Ortizia, that place is Vino, Veritas, and Oteca. Giuseppe handpicks all the wines himself, and he's happy to help you select a bottle. Buy your favorite bottle, and with your stash of bread, olives, and cheese from the outdoor market in Ortizia, walk five minutes to the jetty and enjoy a glass and a snack as you watch the sunset. Nothing could be better. While the aperitivo has its roots in Turin, dating back over 200 years, the concept has only recently become popular in the States. It seems you can't visit a bar or a restaurant without seeing everyone nursing an Aperol spritz these days. And don't get me wrong, I love the idea of a bitter drink paired with some light snacks while meeting up with friends, but I can't help but think, where have you been when I see everyone jumping on the aperitivo bandwagon? The aperitivo tradition is strongest in northern Italy. Milan is the aperitivo capital, and Turin, the origin point of aperitivo, also has a strong game. But aperitivo has migrated down to southern Italy and even Sicily as well. And like tapas, you might get a free snack with your bitter drink, but often in Sicily, it's just a tiny cup of nuts, maybe a few potato chips. If you want more food, you'll probably have to order it. Lots of places offer aperitivo in Ortizia. You can just look for signs advertising aperitivo. You might stumble upon a new favorite, but Barciolo does a nice job, as does Tincaite and Taverna Guidece. My all-time favorite spot, though, in Ortizia is Moon. Moon stands for Move Ortizia Out of Normality. And from a name like Move Ortizia Out of Normality, you might envision some hipster spot with wax mustachioed bartenders selling cans of PBR, but Moon couldn't be further away from that stereotype. They're an elegant spot with frequent live jazz performances, and their aperitivo is excellent. They're also my number one favorite restaurant in Ortizia. Things to do and places to see. I don't know. What do you want to do? On Destination Eat Drink. Have a question or a comment about Destination Eat Drink? Find me on Facebook or Instagram at Destination Eat Drink, on Twitter at Eat Destination, or click the contact tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. The single most important date in Ortizia's history is 1693. That was the day when a massive earthquake, probably the strongest ever in Italy, leveled almost all of Ortizia, much of southeastern Sicily, and parts of southern Italy, as well as Malta. The city was rebuilt in the style of the time, which was Sicilian Baroque, a fanciful style of architecture that lasts to this day and gives Ortizia its distinct look. One of the most beautiful squares in all of Italy is the Piazza del Duomo 
in Ortizia. These ornate Sicilian Baroque buildings surround the long piazza with cafes and restaurants dotting the perimeter. Stopping in to linger over a cool drink in the afternoon is always a good idea, but the real show happens in the evening when the piazza comes to life. On our first visit to Ortizia, we had a lovely dinner at one of the restaurants on the piazza, and a boy maybe 12 years old, was wandering around the square playing tunes on his accordion for tips. I gave him a euro, and he happily posed for a picture. We saw him again the next day on the steps of the church playing for coins. But on our return to Ortizia a year and a half later, keeping an eye out for him, we never saw him again. I sometimes wonder what happened to that happy young man. The focal point of the Piazza del Duomo is the Cathedral of Syracuse, the Duomo di Syracusa. The facade was built in the fanciful Sicilian Baroque style after the earthquake, but if you look closely, you can see vestiges of the church's past. Syracusa and Ortizia were one of the most powerful cities in all of Greater Greece. Magna Graecia. They even rivaled Athens in terms of power. But you won't see as many relics from those Greek days as you will in Athens. But this church is one place where you can see some remnants of Greek culture. A Greek Doric temple dedicated to Athena was built in the 5th century BC on the site of an even older prehistoric temple. Columns from the Greek temple were actually incorporated into the rebuilt church, and you can see them in the sanctuary and on the outside of the church. The Greek temple later became a church when the Byzantine Empire took over in the 6th century AD, and then it became a mosque in 678 following the conquest by North Africans, back to a church again in 1085 when the Normans reconquered the city. And while the facade is stunning and you could spend hours examining all of the intricate little details, the interior is worth a look as well. There's a chapel dedicated to the city's patron saint, St. Lucia, which has some of her personal effects as well as her relics, which are her bones. The stained glass, fanciful altar, painted ceiling, they're all worth checking out in the cathedral. The story of the patron saint of Syracuse is a fascinating one. Lucy was born into a rich family in the year 283. Her father was a Roman who died when she was just five years old, and her mother later became ill. Lucy prayed to St. Agatha, who was martyred 50 years earlier and is the patron saint of Catania, and St. Agatha came to Lucy in a dream and said that her mother had been cured. And as thanks for her mother's health, Lucy promised to give her family's riches away to the poor. What Lucy didn't know is that her mother had promised her hand in marriage to a local. And this man was none too happy when he found out that all of the family's riches were to be given away to the poor. He made a plea to the Roman governor of Syracuse, who ordered Lucy to make a sacrifice to the emperor of Rome. Well, this was against Lucy's faith, and she refused. So the governor sent the young virgin Lucy to a brothel to be defiled. When the Roman soldiers showed up to take Lucy to the brothel, they couldn't move her, even with the help of a team of oxen. So the soldiers piled wood 
on Lucy and tried to set her on fire, but she wouldn't burn. Eventually, Lucy was killed when a Roman put a sword through her throat. Now, if that story wasn't grisly enough, in the 15th century, church leaders added another part to the story. They claim the governor of Syracuse became furious when Lucia refused to obey his orders, and as punishment, he had her eyes gouged out. That's why when you see paintings of St. Lucia, you'll often see her with her eyes gouged out or with her eyes on a golden platter as if she's somehow serving them. This is why Lucy is both the patron saint of Syracuse and the patron saint of eye illness. Like all good saints, St. Lucia has a feast day. It's celebrated on December 13th, which is appropriate since it's one of the shortest and darkest days of the year, and she's the patron saint of eye illnesses after all. On December 13th, a silver statue containing Lucy's relics is taken from the cathedral and paraded around town. Residents of Ortigia celebrate St. Lucia Day by eating cuchilla. This is a porridge-like dish made of boiled wheat berries and sugar, and this is to commemorate the arrival of a shipment of wheat on St. Lucy's Day in 1646, which ended a famine. So on this day, people are supposed to not eat any bread or pasta, no other wheat except for the cuchilla. Puppetry in Sicily is a famous form of entertainment that goes back over 200 years, and it's different than marionettes, the French art form. Marionettes are controlled by strings, while the puppets in Sicily are controlled by steel rods. And typically, the stories of Sicilian puppetry revolve around brave knights defeating the evil Muslims and saving damsels in distress. In Ortigia, the Vaccaro brothers were some of the earliest purveyors of the art form, and their descendants operate a wonderful puppet theater. Each performance has warriors slaying invaders in a over-the-top melodramatic fashion. The performances are in Italian, of course, but you don't need to speak the language to understand the story. But be advised, the body count of the slain Muslims piles up on the stage of the theater, and it might be a little bit too intense for kids. The Teatro dei Pupi is a family affair, and all the puppets are made by hand at the workshop across the street. Visitors are welcome as heads are carved from wood, and costumes are fashioned for the show. It's really quite an extraordinary experience to see what these folks put together. And visiting is a highlight of going to Ortigia. I've got pictures from the puppet workshop on the website destinationeatdrink.com. Like I said, there's not many remains of the Greeks who ruled this part of Sicily for many hundreds of years, but you can see the columns from the Temple of Athena at the cathedral in the Piazza del Duomo. There's also the ruins of the Temple of Apollo in Ortigia. You can't miss it. It's right by the outdoor market at Piazza Panciale. Most people just walk right by, barely paying it any mind. The site dates back to the 6th century B.C., and like the Temple of Athena, it became a church 
and then a mosque, and then a church again, depending on which invading army had control of the city. The temple was even used as a barracks for Spanish soldiers. But the real highlight for any fan of Greek culture is to visit the Teatro Greco. It's the Greek theater with 15,000 seats showing Syracuse's importance in the ancient world. Opera and other performances are still regularly staged at the theater in the summer. The Romans liked the site as well, and they built their own Roman amphitheater there. But even though it was built centuries after the Greeks, the Greek theater is in much better shape than the Roman one. Both the Greek and Roman theaters are part of the Neapolis archaeological site in Syracuse. You can see all of these under a single admission, as well as the Ear of Dionysus. The area around the Neapolis was a limestone quarry and a cave has a curved shape that sort of resembles a human ear. And the name, the Ear of Dionysus, was coined by the master painter Caravaggio after he saw the ear and compared it to the dictatorial ruler of Syracuse, Dionysus. The legend is that Dionysus would place prisoners in the cave, and because of the shape, the cave has perfect acoustics, so the tyrant could hear everything his enemies had to say. And while this is a great story, it probably never even happened that way. Caravaggio likely made the whole thing up. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat Drink. I like talking about and writing about the food and beverages that I encounter around the world. When I'm not doing that, I write fiction. Check out my foodie novel, Truffle Hunt, and That Bird, my collection of short stories on DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the Contact and Books tab. Even though Ortigia is small, I like making it home base and exploring nearby towns on a day trip. That way, you can enjoy Ortigia for several days and nights, but still see a lot of southeastern Sicily. If you feel more comfortable driving to the towns, then feel free. Just know that traffic in Ortigia itself is limited. And I personally would never want to go through the stress of driving through the extremely narrow streets that are barely wide enough to accommodate a Fiat. Locals manage somehow, but pedestrians spend a lot of time ducking into doorways in order to let them pass. I think it's easier to take the train or the bus and not have to worry about driving and parking. The trains in Sicily, contrary to what you'll read in most guidebooks, are for the most part reliable and fairly inexpensive. Sure, some of the trains are on the older side, but I've never had an issue. Be aware, though, that train service can end earlier than bus service, and train stations are sometimes located a kilometer or more outside of town. At DestinationEatDrink.com, I outline several day trips from Ortigia, but in the podcast, I'm just going to focus on Modica and Ragusa. The other towns are easier to get to from Catania. And if you want to know more about Catania, just check out episode four of the podcast. Modica and Ragusa are a quick train ride from Ortigia, so you might be tempted to do both in a single day, but they're both quite hilly and steep, and they have lots to see and do, so I recommend making each one a day trip. They're about a two-hour train ride from Syracuse. Sicily might not be the first place you think of when you think of chocolate, but it should be. Chocolatiers still practice their traditional cold-pressing method of making chocolate that you can see up close. 
almost all commercial chocolate undergoes a process called conching. A conch is a machine that scrapes and agitates chocolate to make it smooth, creamy, and uniform in texture. And conching also heats the chocolate to 120 to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Even the artisanal chocolate maker in your city who grinds cacao nibs on a stone has to heat the chocolate. That's because heat is required to dissolve the sugar and give the final product a smooth texture. But in Modica, a traditional cold pressing method is used to make the chocolate. That doesn't mean no heat. What it means in Modica is the cold pressing is done to a heat of only 107 to 113 degrees Fahrenheit. That might not seem like it's much lower, but this prevents the sugar from melting and gives the chocolate a more grainy and crumbly texture. It also gives the chocolate a flavor that is truer to the expression of the cacao bean, in my opinion. Your first stop when you get to Modica should be Antica Dolciera Bonajuto, the most famous chocolate shop in the city, operated by the same family since 1880. The importance of the Bonajuto family to Modica cannot be overstated. Without them, there wouldn't be all the other chocolate shops that are in Modica today. But don't limit yourself to Bonajuto. There are lots of chocolate makers in Modica. It's the business of the city. Wander the streets, pop into some of the chocolate shops, and sample chocolate from different makers to find your favorite. And don't forget to pick up a few bars. For the $10 you would spend on a bar of artisan chocolate in the States, you can get several bars of Modica chocolate and your friends will be delighted with this unique taste gift. Plus, it goes great with Sicilian red wine. One of the most gorgeous sights in Modica is the Church of San Giorgio, not just for its design, but also for its prominent location on top of a hill. There are two parts to the city of Modica, Upper Modica, called Modica Alta, and Lower Modica, called Modica Bassa, of course, the cathedral is in Modica Alta on top of a hill. You can reach it by car, but there's also an elaborate staircase that was built in the 19th century and connects Modica Bassa with Modica Alta. The climb is beautifully decorated with flowering gardens. Pause to enjoy them. You're going to need to stop anyway because the 300 steps to the church are exhausting or the heart attack climb, as my friend Mike jokingly referred to it. The little town of Ragusa is just one-tenth the size of Palermo and has more Michelin-starred restaurants than Sicily's largest city. La Fenice and Locanda Don Serafino Restaurante each have earned a Michelin star, while Cuccio Sultano Duomo has two Michelin stars. Ragusa, along with most of eastern Sicily, was destroyed by the 1693 earthquake. The city was rebuilt in two parts. Ragusa Ibla, or Lower Ragusa, was where the old town was located, and Ragusa Superior, or Upper Ragusa, was built as the new town after the earthquake. Out of this 1693 tragedy, Ragusa rose under the flowery Sicilian Baroque style, and it's best admired in the many churches that were built in the early 18th century. Duomo di San Giorgio, Cisia di Santa Maria del Scale, Cathedral di San Giovanni Battista, and Cisia San Giuseppe are just a few of the best examples. But be aware, like Modica, there's tons of stairs to climb 
the heavy breathing is definitely worth it. Ragusa also has a modern street art festival, drawing talented artists from all over the world. Some of the murals are over 50 feet high. Check out DestinationEatDrink.com for more information on Festi Wall in Ragusa. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Destination Eat Drink. We drop a new episode each Friday. Join me next week as we visit the underrated but great city of Glasgow, Scotland. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Radio Misfits and Ed Silla. Big thanks to Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.